0: Greening with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Busy day and delighted you've chosen to spend some time with me here. I couldn't be happier about what happened in the NBA bubble last night because Tyler Hero is an unexpected superstar and he has a name you can play with. That's where we begin with today. Tyler Hero goes off for 37 last night. Do you know the last time a rookie scored more points than that in an NBA postseason game was Magic Johnson? Magic Johnson's legendary 42-point performance in the clinching Game 6 of the 1980 Finals when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar didn't play and Magic jumped center, which is probably one of the certainly 10 most famous basketball games ever, certainly one of the 10 greatest performances ever, and something that cemented Magic Johnson as a legend in the NBA, right basically off the bat. That's the only one bigger than this. Tyler Hero, off the bench, 37 points. That's what makes sports great, right? What makes sports great are Tyler Hero. You just never know where it's going to come from. Hey, you watch a series, you think you know what's going to happen. Did you know that they have played 10 games the Heat have so far, and he scored in double digits in all 10 of them? He's been tremendous, and it's gotten better and better. It has gotten progressively impressive. He scored 22 points in Game 3 and then explodes for 37 last night and just watch him. I remember watching that kid in Kentucky and he was the best player on that team. And he was, he got drafted 13 this year, I think. And he had a good rookie year. He averaged 13 points, but Tim Legler made the point on his development on get up this morning. Legler said that guy has progressed five years in the bubble. The, the development that it usually takes a young player, two or three or more years to make. He seems to have made in the bubble. And whatever it is, that kid who's from Milwaukee is just playing great. And I could not be more excited to see something like that happening. It wasn't what I wanted to happen last night. I wanted to see the Celtics tie that thing up because I'm just looking for more games. And now, despite what Tim Legler says, I'm a little worried that this series is on the verge of being over. Here was Legler this morning telling me he disagrees. He believes this series is not over and Boston can still come back. Here's Legs this morning on Get Up.
2: So they know that they've played well enough
1: right now to be up 3-1. They just couldn't close the deal in those first couple. They couldn't hold leads. So I think overall, Brad Stevens feels pretty good about the way they've played. So this is that one unusual series where I'll say, absolutely, this is not over. And now you're going to get desperation out of Boston, which may be enough to get them back in this thing and get it even at some point. Well, we'll find out. Again, in the bubble... I don't know how to read leads. They certainly don't read the same way because there are no home games. So if the Heat had a 3-1 series lead under normal circumstances, they would have one game in Miami where they'd have the chance to put it away. It wouldn't be game five. Under those circumstances, it would be game six. But in this case, every game is played on a neutral court, and so we'll see. Let me bring the undefeated Mark Spears into the conversation. He's on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Pennzoil synthetic motor oils are made from natural gas. It gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. And Mark, obviously, so many things to get into coming out of yesterday and last night. I want to start with the basketball piece, and then we'll work our way from there. Um, the sports great i was saying mark is tyler hero someone that most fans probably didn't know anything about before this restart in the bubble maybe they remembered him from kentucky and last night he looks like a true star in the nba what did we see last night from this 20 year old rookie
0: uh we saw ray allen and you know uh i guess a white version of ray Allen. (laughs) he (laughs) he has a pure jumper he has the same ray allen swag um and he just, every time he gets it, I expect him to make it. The thing that is cool about him is he plays like he's been here already. And, um, so he gives Miami this weapon that they weren't expecting to have. We we knew what Jimmy Butler could do. We know what Bam could do. But now he gives them that third star. And I, I think yesterday was the day that he became a, a new star in the league. Um, He's somebody I think that the younger generation is quickly going to fall in love with. And um, now he has the platform to show that, you know, he is truly special and he certainly doesn't look like a rookie anymore.
1: I agree. I mean, last night's game, I made this comment earlier today. Sometimes you see a role player come in and play a great game and you think, wow, that was quite a performance. That's not what it looked like. That looked like a guy who was meant to be the number 1 option on this team despite the fact that they have, you know, an all NBA player in Jimmy Butler.
0: Well, and with Jimmy now, I think Jimmy says, "Okay, now I got a guy that could make life better for me." Cuz you saw that one play during the end of the game where Jimmy looked like, "Okay, he's going to do his one-on-one thing, hit a jumper." The defense came to him. Tyler cut to the baseline and got one of his, might have been his final bucket or one of his last two buckets was like a a beautiful reverse lane from a pass on Jimmy. So now, if Tyler's doing what he's doing, he actually makes Jimmy scarier because, you know, perhaps you can't double him as much or or concentrate on him as much. If you got Bam dunking and this kid hitting threes, that makes Miami more affordable, that makes Miami, a true championship contender.
1: They're one win away from getting to the NBA Finals. Mark Spears with me here on ESPN Radio. Let's uh, look ahead to tonight. The Lakers will try and take that same one, uh, that same 3-1 series lead. And yesterday morning, I had quite a few um, people on Get Up, uh, particularly Kendrick Perkins, who were somewhat disappointed that the Lakers didn't come out with the mindset to put that series away yesterday. They seemed a little lethargic early. Denver jumped on them, and the Lakers couldn't get all the way back. What do you expect to happen tonight?
0: Well, man, me and you are from the same era, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, we, we grew up on Scooby-Doo. And what did they say <laughs> every time they solved a mystery? Man, if it wasn't for you meddling kids, if it wasn't for you pesky kids, That is the Denver Nuggets. They are those meddling, pesky kids. They're not scared of the Lakers. They don't care about their banners. They probably don't even know about them. They're so young. You know? And they believe they should be up in the series. They believe that they're better. So the same way that the Clippers ended up taking them lightly and getting beat, the Lakers better take that mentality, too. Because these dudes are for real, man. They got Joker who makes... He could be that if there was a professional league for horse, he might be an all-time great. The crazy shots he makes that are unguardable. Murray's getting confidence. Porter is growing. Same way, Hero is growing. So, the Lakers, yes, they are the better team. But if they don't come with the mentality, we could have a <laughs> dare I say a Miami Denver finals, which nobody would have guessed.
1: No, and 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 it would be legit. I remember Barkley before the the start began before the restart began saying in order for it to be legitimate you're going to need to see everyone get all the way through to the end and i think what he meant was you know if the lakers get knocked out because lebron winds up getting coronavirus then it would feel invalid but that hasn't been the case to this point denver has no. looked good enough to win and miami has looked good enough to win
0: no i mean and let's give the nba credit they're doing an amazing job at keeping us healthy in here and uh, they they are un- annoyingly doing a great job. <laughs> like you're like, come on, man. Do I really have to do this right now? Do I have to wear it? like I got yelled at for the mask I had? But I get it. They it They're close. The NBA is almost at the f- finish line for not only doing something historically basketball wise, but doing something historically health wise. And they're doing a fantastic job. So no, that can't be a- an excuse. If anything if there is an asterisk to this the trophy should be bigger than it ever has been <laughs> make it a little bigger because what these guys have gone through to to get to this point to be here two months plus almost three months to win this championship and be away from your families and be away from your daily you you get you get extra credit for that for me um and that's what i think kind of going back to miami it's helping them they love this they're enjoying this thing. Adonis Haslam is eating chunky soup. He's sleeping on his bed in his, cou- his couch bed. So is Jimmy Butler. you seen Jimmy Butler's mustache and hair? He <laughs> look like he, he, he's been lost in the woods for a few months. He's not even getting his hair cut. Like they have, while others have complained about the food and, and, and the environment and being stuck, Miami's enjoying it. They're loving it. They're happy. They ain't crying about nothing. And I I would say of all the teams, there probably isn't a team that has embraced this bubble mentality being in the same state as their beloved, beautiful Miami than the Heat.
1: And now they're one win away from the finals and five wins away. From a championship, and you mentioned what the league has done with the play, and it's been great, and what they've done with health, and that's been great. And then there is another factor in all of this that obviously in the big picture is bigger than all the rest of it put together, and that is um, the element when they 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 began this restart, understanding how important the issues of racial equality were going to be, and then we have the events of yesterday in Louisville. And I had Malika on this morning um and she played me a lot of the sound bites from a lot of the players last night, and she tried to give us a sense of of what the vibe was like there. I'd love you to do the same for this audience, Mark. How would you describe what it was like being in that bubble last night after the events of yesterday?
0: It's a solemn, solemn. I mean, the basketball kind of took their mind off of it, but you know, after the game, you saw Celtics wearing certainly some social justice and some black pride shirts. Um, Everybody talked about it. And and the sad thing is the, the common denominator was people said, yeah, we expected that. We're not surprised by that. You know, that that's the thing that was certainly sad to hear was they they didn't expect any justice. And, and, and I understand I, I felt the same way. You know, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, the most racist city I've ever lived in in my life couldn't wait to get out of there. There's a lot of people I love there. There's a lot of people that are lost there. Um from a racial standpoint, I mean I met black people there who felt like they were so trapped by the the, the racial issues there that they don't feel like they could succeed. That they felt like it was all pushed against them. There's a reason why I live in California. You know, I, I don't have to deal with a lot of that mess in some of these southern towns. Um in, in cities like Louisville, Kentucky. So, but the only thing that we could do to change is, like, what they've been pushing now, which I'm loving by the players, is they're pushing voting. They're pushing, you know, uh, bringing change in all the different offices because, you know, what we see yesterday, that's how it gets changed. And uh, so I'm glad that now the players in, the, in their protest, they figured out what can we do. To, to make an immediate impact, not a long-term impact, because you're not going to beat racism. <laughs> I, I remember sitting in the slave house when I worked at the Courier Journal, visiting an old slave house in Louisville, Kentucky, and somebody giving me the handcuffs in the way I felt, and, and the way listening to some of how the white people talk down to black people there. That's a lot of places in this country, but the way we could change things, you may not be able to change that racism, but you could change things by voting. So I'm glad the players are, are pushing that front more than anything.
1: Mark, it's always um, great for us to have you here. I really appreciate you taking this time, and I know how personal so much of, of this stuff feels and is, uh, and I know it's not easy to talk about, so I appreciate it very much. Uh, thank you, and I will no, check but, in with you but again in the next hey, few days.
0: I, I thank you for for asking. At least you care enough to ask. You know, too long we've been hiding from the reality and the only thing, way I think we can change stuff is to have true conversations. So I implore any racist out there, if you see me on the street, let's sit down and have some coffee and talk. Because I'd, I'd love to sit and talk to you about all this craziness that you feel and all this hatred that you feel like as if we were born and somebody asked us what race we wanted to be. <laughs> it's just silly. But if that makes you feel better about yourself... I, hey, man, God bless you. But thank you. Thank you for allowing me to talk and, and talk candidly about this, because that's, to me, a, a way that things could change is if actually people talk about their true fears and, you know, true fears of what they think society would be if actually things were fair.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thank you for your candor. I'll see you in the next few days. All right, brother. That's Mark Spears with me, Bob. I'm just going to keep it here, obviously. Um, and, and I'll just react to that myself. You know, um, all of us are products of our own individual life experience, right? And um, my life experience is that I grew up in New York City. I grew up in, um, in Greenwich Village in the 1970s um, at a time when if, if they refer to New York City as a melting pot, there is no place that it melts more than the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, I also went to a school, I went to the United Nations School, where about 50% of the kids are American and the other 50% are international, they're the children of UN diplomats. That's where I went from kindergarten through eighth grade. So when I was growing up, for most of my young life, my four best friends, uh, or we were four kids, My, my three best friends, one of them was from Madagascar, one of them was from China, one of them was from Canada, and the fourth one was me. And none of us thought a thing of that. And so that's my life experience. And everyone's isn't the same. And everyone, the thing about this country, I suppose, is that we all live in our own individual America because we have the freedom um, to view things the way we choose. And so um, I I am disheartened at times, uh, as I'm sure many others are, but I I never lose optimism. I, I never lose hope and faith that things are going to get better and that we will start to come together. I know that right now that feels like it's very far away. Um, the idea that we would be more united as a culture and more united as a society in this country, that that feels farther away than it did a short time ago. And that's what's most discouraging because through my lifetime, and I'm 53 years old, through my lifetime, I, I think I have felt, um, no, not I think, I know I have felt as though we have been coming closer together, as though our society has become more united. I I feel like that was the case not long ago in this country, certainly as compared to the country I grew up in in the 70s and even into the 80s. And and time goes by. And now I feel as though, and I think almost all of us feel as though it's taken a step in the opposite direction from that. And that is discouraging. And like like many others, I, I feel discouraged sometimes. But I'm not going to lose my sense of optimism that we can make it better, that real and lasting change can be made, and that in my lifetime, in my children's lifetime for sure, um, we will live in a country where we feel more united. I remember the way we felt right after 9-11. I remember that feeling that we were all in something together. All of us as Americans were in something together, and I stood up for you and you stood up for me, and I'm hoping that we will find that again. Uh, Straight Talk Wireless has the full-court cell phone coverage you need, just 45 bucks a month. Gets you the unlimited plan with 25 gigs of high-speed data, then 2G for up to 50% less than the big carriers. Only at Walmart. Savings may vary. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. All right, I didn't get to any of the other things I had planned there, but I will coming up next, including uh, what it is I said this morning about one NFL quarterback that seems to have a lot of people Exercised. Um, I 100% stand behind it, and you will hear it coming up next.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space
0: They're tired of the excuses. They're tired of his play. They gave him this money a couple years ago. You just gave this guy $100 million plus. And he's not lived up to the bill. For me, Jalen
1: Hurts, let's get a snap under center. All right. Philadelphia is the center of so much of the conversation. Greenie back with you on ESPN Radio. And thrilled that you have chosen to spend some time here with me. So I addressed this earlier this morning. Carson Wentz has been the center of a lot of conversation off the. Terrible start the Eagles have had to their season, and I'll just go through what I said in the essay that I did on TV this morning, and again, I'm, I'm seeing so far since I posted it on Twitter and on Instagram at ESPN Greeny that a lot of people are agreeing and a lot of people are making great issue, and I suppose when you take a position in sports, that's the way things are going to go. Let me just tell you what it is. Quite simply, it's this. Through two weeks, a pretty compelling case could be made that Carson Wentz has been the worst quarterback in the NFL. Here's the case. No one has thrown more interceptions. No one has been sacked more times. No one has been, has made more off target throws. Since his team was up 17, nothing on Washington. Wentz has scored touchdowns on two of 21 drives. His total QBR is 28. No one else in the league is under 40. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's the banged up offensive line. Well, guess what? You're wrong. Our analytics actually have the Eagles fifth in the league in pass protection. The problem has actually been the internal clock and decision-making. Week one, Wentz took eight sacks and threw the ball away zero times. Of the 20 off-target throws he has this season, 15 of them have come from a clean pocket. This cannot be described as other people's fault. So maybe the truth is this. In 2017, Wentz was an MVP frontrunner before he got hurt on a team so good that it won the Super Bowl without him, beating Tom Brady in a game in which Brady threw for 500 yards and his team didn't punt. The following year, Wentz was 5-6 and six when he got hurt again. Nick Foles came in, finished 4-1, and one, and beat the number one defense in the league in the playoffs. Meanwhile, the numbers say that Wentz has been an average quarterback since the first injury. Since that time, the Eagles are 14-15 and 15 in games he starts. They score 23 points a game, which is exactly the league average. And his QBR is 59.9, which is exactly the same as Jameis Winston's. Right now, his team is winless. They drafted a quarterback in the second round, and they got booed off the field Sunday in a game without fans. So maybe he goes out and plays great against the number one pick in Joe Burrow in Cincinnati this weekend, and all of this quiets down. And then he continues to play well, and then it all just becomes, well, he had two bad games this year, and they happened to be the first two. But if they should ever lose this weekend to Cincinnati... I wonder what the reality might be. You don't take a quarterback in the second round without the intention of playing him some point soon. I don't know exactly how soon. I don't know what their plan is. They have went signed for the next three years. They are indebted to him financially in ways that would be devastating to make a significant change. So I don't expect them to bench him. I don't expect them to bench him this whole year. I can't fathom how bad it would have to get for them to make that decision because it would have such an enormous impact on the entire football team, the organization going forward. And it would be a huge admission of enormous mistakes. I don't expect them to do it, and I don't think that they should. I still believe in Carson Wentz. I just think it's important to point out that for all the excuses that seem to be made constantly, the reality is he's just played badly. It's only two weeks. Maybe he'll get better. All right, now it's time for some straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The NFL weekend kicks off with... Maybe not the sexiest matchup of all time tonight. Miami and Jacksonville Jaguars are actually a 3-point favorite last I looked. Who would have thought that? People were talking about Miami maybe improving. They've looked really bad the first 2 weeks. People were talking about the Jaguars tanking away a season. Candidly, they're a bad call or 2 away from possibly being 2 and 0. Beating two teams we think are good. They beat the Colts, we think the Colts are good. They played Tennessee, I mean, absolutely tough, basically to a standstill. We think they're good. So maybe Jacksonville wins tonight. I don't know what's going to happen, but let's just say, let's live in a world where the Jaguars win, and you're the Dolphins, and you have 10 days before your next game, and you're 0 3, and you've looked lousy. Is it Tua time? That's the question. Do they make the move to Tua? Tua's been the backup quarterback. He's up, he's eligible to play, he's active, he's one hit away from going in anyway. You have a little extra time here. Again, you play the Thursday, and then so you have the additional time off to get them ready. Do they make the move to Tua? It's an interesting question. I don't know the answer. I wonder if you think it's the right thing for them to do. I looked it up. Their next three games are Seattle, San Francisco, and Denver. I don't know that you want Tua's first game to be against Jamal Adams. That could be a rude awakening. But he's got to play at some point. The next game being San Francisco felt awfully different last Saturday than it did last Sunday night. The 49ers were decimated. No team. Every year, like two or three NFL teams have their seasons just completely ruined by injury. I hate to say it, but I think the 49ers are that team this year. That one day, losing Nick Bosa for them is like losing a quarterback for most other teams. And Solomon Thomas. The running backs are all hurt. and The quarterback's not going to play this week against the Giants. So I don't know that you're so scared of that game. Denver's playing without Von Miller. So is it time to go to Tua if they lose tonight? That, I think, will be a very interesting question that we will start getting the answer to. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. And then Nuno sent me an interesting note with a question that I thought was an interesting one, and I thought I would just read you some of the points. Is there a more snake-bitten player in the NFL than Tyrod Taylor? Tyrod was the sixth round pick of the Ravens in 2011. He backed up Joe Flacco for four years. He signed with the Bills in 2015. He beats out E.J. Manuel for the starting job. He plays pretty well. In 2016, he's inactive for the final game because he had a clause in his contract that would have made his following year's salary guaranteed had he suffered a major injury. The Bills restructure his deal. They bench him after a bad game. In comes Nathan Peterman, who throws five picks. Back goes Tyrod Taylor. They make the playoffs that year for the first time since 1999. He gets a concussion in a wild-card game, gets traded to the Browns. He's named the Browns starter, even though the Browns draft Baker Mayfield, number one overall. He gets hurt week three against the Jets. Mayfield comes on. They win their first game in 100 years, and so much for Tyrod Taylor. He signs a two-year deal with the Chargers sits behind Philip Rivers last year, wins the starting job this year, despite the presence of Justin Herbert. And on Sunday before his second start, his own team doctor accidentally punctures his lung just before kickoff, trying to administer a pain-killing injection to his cracked ribs. So it would be hard to blame Tyrod Taylor if he doesn't every now and again feel a little bit of woe is me. Like what in the world? It just wasn't meant to happen. That said... And I I totally sympathize and I agree with the concept. I think it's Herbert time. He's going to start this week because Tyrod can't. But I think it's time to go to the rookie. He looked pretty good. They played Kansas City to an absolute standstill. And to me, the coach makes a huge mistake punting the ball to Patrick Mahomes. They punt on a fourth and one from their own 30 in overtime. I totally get that if you don't get it, you're just giving the game away. But to me, punting the ball to Patrick Mahomes in overtime is giving the game away, too. You give the ball to that guy in overtime, you don't deserve to win. So to me, I think the coach made a mistake. The rookie looked pretty good. I would play Herbert. I think it's his time one way or the other. And it's just bad luck and bad news again for Tyrod Taylor. And I want to mention that um, if you listen to our podcasts, we have the Greeny podcast which comes from this program every single day, and the Get Up podcast, which comes from that show every single day. Today, both podcasts will have bonus football content, which is brought to you by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. At the end of each of the podcasts, I will pick several of the games for this weekend's schedule. And again, that is brought to you by DraftKings. All right, coming up next, something that you paid absolutely no attention to was actually a very big deal. And I'll tell you what it was and why. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash today. That's Macy's.com slash gift All right, I told you something that you didn't think anything of is proving to be a very big deal. And that was a football game that got canceled. Not the one Notre Dame was supposed to play in, but the one their last opponent was supposed to play in. So Notre Dame and Wake Forest didn't get played because several Notre Dame players tested positive for the coronavirus. And because that's Notre Dame, a lot of people will pay attention to that. And there's a rescheduled date for that now. It'll be played in early December. And they're in a mad dash to get as many games in, all of them if possible. And if not, then as many as possible between now and December 20th, which is the day that the committee is supposed to pick the four teams for the college football playoff. What happened for the first time is that their previous opponent also canceled their next game. So in the way that we saw in baseball, remember when the baseball season first came back and there was an outbreak involving the Marlins and the Marlins had played at Philadelphia. So the Phillies then didn't play and the Yankees were supposed to go to Philadelphia. So the Yankees didn't go there because they didn't want to be in the same clubhouse. That's where we were two months ago with all of this in football. We really haven't seen any of that. Now we have. It happened in college football, and Paul Feinbaum made the point this morning on Get Up that he thinks that is a very big deal. This is the first time we've seen a game canceled because of another game. Uh, during the, the build up to the season, we were all concerned what's going to happen when you get 22 players on the field? And we don't know very much right now, and Notre Dame officials are, are being very cautious and for good reason, but something caused USF to cancel the game. And the only bit of evidence that we have is that they played Notre Dame the previous week, which had already canceled uh, a game with Wake Forest. I'm not uh, the most brilliant person when it comes to deductive logic, but I think this one's pretty f- easy to figure out. It's a pretty big deal, pretty big deal, because if that's going to be... And this is not to suggest I think it shouldn't be, but if that's where we're going to get with football, it's going to be increasingly difficult to get to the to the finish line. And Heather Dinich was also on with us in that conversation, and she pointed out that uh, what Notre Dame did was they gave to USF, the previous opponent, the names of the seven players who had tested positive. They haven't released them publicly, but they gave those names to the opponent, and the way that the opponent did the contact tracing was they actually went back and looked at the film and looked at those players and saw w- who they were attached to. Attached is the wrong word, but, you know, who, who they were going head-to-head up against, how long those interactions were. That's contact tracing on a football field. That's pretty complicated stuff. So it does make one wonder, and as a fan, worry a little bit about them getting to the finish line. So far in the NFL, there have been no positive tests for players. It seems impossible to imagine it's going to stay that way. These guys er- aren't in a bubble. So what will happen when we do see those tests? We'll see. One way or another, the bottom line to this, to me, is there needs to be some flexibility in the scheduling. They have this date set now, December 20th. That's when we're going to pick the four teams. And if you can't play the games between now and then, well, then you just can't play them. You can play them if you want to, but they're not going to count towards that. And all the teams that most people care about are playing for that reason, and for the most part, that reason only. And so I asked Heather... This morning on Get Up, is there any wiggle room there? Is there any flexibility as far as pushing that date back, pushing everything back? So if teams wind up missing a game here and a game there, that they're still able to compete for the playoffs, for the semifinals. Here's what Heather said.
2: The first is because you start running into NFL playoffs, which take up just about every weekend and Saturdays and Sundays. And then you have the, the commissioners who are in charge of this thing, right? So if you're talking about everyone who's playing in the same predicament, then maybe it is a little bit more possible and more realistic. But if you're talking about a select few teams, then you have to convince Greg Sankey in the SEC, John Swafford in the ACC, Bob. Bol- be in the big 12 who have all navigated their leagues through earlier starts potentially longer games to move in and i think that becomes a more difficult conversation
1: so she's telling us that it is going to be complicated to try and create some flexibility in this circumstance and what i would say is nothing could be more college football than that we can't move the date the nba picked up their entire life and moved it into a bubble in orlando And they're going to get to the finish line. They're going to do it in a great deal of style. College football is holding January 1st sacrosanct because that's the way it's always been. Boy, college football loves the way it's always been. No one loves anything the way college football loves the way it's always been. What I'll say is this. To look down, to look askance at the Big Ten and the Pac-12 because they erred on the side of caution strikes me as... A strange hill to, I don't want to use the expression hill to die on in this context, but you know what I mean. It's not like the Big Ten and the Pac-12, the Pac-12 might vote to come back and play starting today. I don't know, but it's not like they looked at this thing and they, they made some kind of money grab. They put health and safety first. I think that should be commended. If you think they got it wrong, that's fine, but it certainly wasn't ill intended. There was no malice involved. You want to punish them for that? We erred on the side of caution. We tried to make sure we could keep all the kids healthy. We wanted to make sure no one got terribly sick out there. God forbid no one died from playing this game. That doesn't seem like something you want to punish people for. So if there's a way that they can move the dates around here and be a little flexible, and if it means you have to play the Rose ball on some other day besides January 1st in the middle of a pandemic, strikes me as a fairly small price to pay. All right, I'm going to open up the phone lines in a couple of minutes, and I'll explain to you how and why. I'm going to do a new feature called What Do You Want to Know? You ask me your questions about sports, and I will do my best to answer them. 888-SAY-ESPN is the number. I'll have Lewis Riddick join me coming up next, and then we'll throw open the phones. 888-SAY-ESPN next on ESPN Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Greedy, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast.